0: This is a new episode of my podcast, Say It As It Is. I am Andreas Rieser. My guest today is Caroline Power. Caroline was born in 1948 in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. She grew up in an extended family with her parents, grandparents, aunts, and even one uncle. This gave her a terrific education in elder care, even though she might not have realized it at the time. Caroline worked in the corporate world for many years. In 1984, she started her own business, mobile pet care service, which ran for over 20 years. In 2020, she will launch her new podcast, Silver Tsunami, the next phase dealing with ageism in the workforce. She will explain and talk more about that later in the interview. There are several topics that connect you and me, your and my life. Even if you may not be aware, I would like to address them in this interview. Caroline, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Andreas, for inviting me. All right. We were both born under the zodiac sign Libra in astrology known for love of justice and aesthetics. What role do they play in your life?
1: They play a very large role, but it took me a long time to identify and accept it. As you know, the signs for Libra are the balanced scale. And I didn't realize how balanced my mind was. I was always trying to push the limits for bigger and better, but balance didn't fit in the equation. So as I took my journey in life, I found out that the more I wanted something to make it happen for somebody else or make a situation change for the better, that balance was automatically there. I just had to wait for it to happen.
0: Okay. I understand. On 2nd September 1998, Swissair flight 111, an international passenger flight from New York City to Geneva in Switzerland crashed into the Atlantic Ocean southwest of Halifax Stanfield International Airport at the entrance to St. Margaret's Bay, Nova Scotia. All 229 passengers and the crew on board were killed. This accident unintentionally tied another link in the traditionally good relationships between Switzerland and Canada. Caroline, how did you experience this catastrophe back then?
1: Well, actually St. Margaret's Bay at Peggy's Cove area where there is a memorial for the flight. I, I visit quite often. It's about a half an hour away from me. The different perspective I have is my best friend was worked in the emergency crew and she amend the uh, radios for the emergency services. So I heard about different things that the general public wouldn't hear about. Uh, I also, there was a um, pilot that night running a private plane who actually flew over that area before the flight went down. And he was in a small, what they would call Cessna craft, which is about a six, eight seater. He was on his way back to Halifax. He made the comment he, the next day that he couldn't believe how eerily quiet everything was. And when the plane went down, he, he said it, he couldn't hear it. It was down before he knew anything about it. And that surprised him because usually there's a change in air pressure or or you hear uh, an airplane of that size making a reasonable amount of noise upon impact. The people who went out to try and rescue uh, people, uh, animals from the plane, uh, talk about the emotional distress they became under because of the unseen sights uh, at the location. One person who was a fisherman, there were five boats that got there early before the emergency measures people got there and they were trying to do their best. They described it as sights worse than watching war um, because they had never seen anything like it. It was a definite, I mean, a plane going down anywhere is bad. Mm-hmm. In in but because we're a relatively small community, it impacted the people who lived there more in a larger way. And I don't think a lot of those memories will ever change for them. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. They will have a lifetime memory that will um, always influence them to some degree, yep. because they always kept thinking they could do more. Yep. Now, I know people don't talk about this, but I do because that's another thing. I had a mobile pet care business that I ran for over 20 years, but when the plane went down and nobody talks of this anywhere at any fight going down. Really? No, no, hang on now. The fact that there are any pets on board, like family pets, nobody talks about animals on board. Mm -hmm. That's collateral damage. Yep. and, and I—that was the first thing that came to my mind. I mean, I never found out how many planes I was just told there were pets on board. Um, because, after being a pet shipper for over twenty years worldwide, I was very much aware of how pets are stressed out on flight travel, even on a good one.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so that, and, and the memories I have are of the news media and the press releases and everything that we could hear about. But to say my only connection was my friend who ran the audio uh, to support the emergency measure people and, and the medical examiner examiner post event um, ended up retiring because he just couldn't deal with it.
0: Yeah. And what was your life situation at the time of the accident? What was
1: my life situation? I was an entrepreneur. I had been um, an entrepreneur for a number of years. I'd been in the corporate world, and then I got downsized twice in my corporate career. So then I decided, okay, enough of this. It's time I take life into my own hands. So in 1994, I started a mobile pet care di- business. It was not created in the normal sense uh, that we had businesses in the metro area that looked after pets part-time. So they did dog walking, they fed cats, etc. cetera. I built mine in a five modular platform. So I did that. I did live in a, overnights. I did took courier service for the animals to their vets. Had them serviced and returned home. I also, after I've been in business for six years, uh, we had over twenty-five veterinarian locations. In uh, let me paint you a picture: we have Halifax and Dartmouth, and they're sister cities. They're joined by two bridges. Uh, Halifax is a peninsula, and Dartmouth is on the mainland. So everybody interconnects. Usually a lot of people at those point in times were coming to Halifax to go to work and then would live in Dartmouth. But because we are a peninsula, we expanded back to the mainland over time. So but it was still getting hard to get to hardcore downtown. So when I built the business, I looked after three areas actually those two and the Halifax Harbour is a long narrow harbour at the point of it is an area called Bedford. So that completes the trio of the cities. And I had all those uh, to look after. So then when the emergency hospital started, I was asked, felt very honoured to be their courier service. So I would my days would start at five o'clock in the morning and I would pick up the animals from the emergency hospital to be returned to the their veterinarians that they'd come in from the night before. Or if uh, a vet had shut down, they usually closed at eight o'clock at night and that's when the emergency hospital opened up. I would get a call about 10 o'clock saying, listen, we had a hit by cards, had the surgery, come pick it up, deliver it tomorrow morning. So my days were very flexible, had to be. <laughs> Uh, but I don't mind it because two things one I love all animals I may not necessarily be friends with all but my they may not be friends with me but they allowed I they have taught me many lessons which I am truly grateful for so then when I had uh, gotten the contract to do that service I did that for six years then I became an a member of the International Pet Moving Association, which is worldwide. And I was contracted from agents out of Toronto to pick up and deliver pets. And I did that for another six years. And my business grew exponentially worldwide because we are a uh, not only corporate province, but more importantly, we are a military province mainly um, because we live on the ocean, mainly naval. We have an Air Force base in the valley, which is the center of the province, and we have uh, mil- military on the ground around us. So I uh, decided that that was the business that I mainly wanted to attract because military are always on the move, uh, and I could get pick up animals uh, from them. They didn't have to worry about all they had to do was worry about their selling their house, getting their family where they needed to be. And I would ship the animals as and when required because I had arrangements with veterinarians saying, I'm picking up XYZ dog or cat today. Uh, please make sure that he's uh, correctly taken care of and here's when I'm picking him up. And uh, I would also, I have driven from Nova Scotia to Florida to deliver pets.
0: Oh, because.
1: Really? because they were on drugs and could not be flown. So Mm. it's been very interesting. Met a lot of wonderful people, met a lot of great pets. My mother used to say that I was certifiable because I called the pets the children and the owners were the parents.
0: Okay. (laughs) Uh, Another thing, Uh, since I was a little boy, I always had a great interest in in indigenous cultures. During my first trip to the USA in 1996, I spent a few weeks with the Lakota people in South Dakota and got in touch with their culture. Canada is also home to a large number of indigenous tribes. For instance, the Mickey are a first nations people in Canadian Atlantic provinces they have a population of approximately 170,000 people. How is the coexistence of the white population with the Mickey Mac and the other tribes?
1: Okay, Andres, I'm gonna give you a little correction. It's not it's not Mickey Mac, actually it is Mi'kmaq. Mi'kmaq, it is
0: Mi'kmaq, okay. Mi'kmaq,
1: okay. That's the correct interpretation. Uh, and it's funny you should say that because Mi'kmaq have been there for many centuries and my, peop, my white people have been in Halifax many centuries. They would work with the Indians. Um, I had a relative who shipped um, lumber to uh, down around uh, the Bahamas and West Indies and liquor and things like that. Now, let me paint you a picture. In approximately 1830, the Indians would spend their, there are three main um, rivers that come into Bedford Basin, which that is Salt Brine, but there are three main, and they would go down the center of the province in the summertime to make their homes and, and make their food for the winter. And then in the winter time, they would come and st- three tribes would come and stay around Bedford basin. And within the spring they would return. But my people would have working relationships with the Indians. And that's one area I'm trying to research right now, actually, because there was an Indian chief in the 1830s that my family did business with. Uh, and the Indian was known as a very kind person I don't have a name, unfortunately, I wish I did. But, um, so I'm gonna start digging more this winter and find out. But the other thing that I found, so if you look at the province of Nova Scotia and then go northwest to New Brunswick and you go up along the border of the US, there's a community near the border of uh, New Brunswick and Quebec called Rexton, R-E-X-T-O-N they have a group of Indians that are called Maliseets. And there's room for discussion because the Mi'kmaq in Nova Scotia said that they never came here, but then other Mi'kmaq said, well, yes, they did, but they ended up assimilating into the Mi'kmaq. But that is another place I want to go because just over the border in the U.S. are larger First Nation Maliseets. I don't know if they came from New Brunswick at all. or But so everything is changing as far as an indigenous people. Our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, is making more acknowledgements about what role the Indians have played uh, across the country in the different first nations, which is great because they should be identified and they should be recognized. And hopefully we can go forward learning from each other's cultures.
0: Thank you. And how is it for you personally to live with the Indian population?
1: It doesn't bother me. I, I'm, I guess, an oddity that way in the sense that I like leer, learning from every person on earth. I don't care what nationality they are, what culture, what their beliefs are. My belief is we can learn something from everybody if we are open minded enough. We're not maybe not going to always like what we listen to or see or hear, but we still should extend uh, an arm of friendship to help each other because that will make ourselves, our communities, and our worlds a better place. Everybody trying to claim their own territory is fine to a point, but the minute you set up barriers is the minute you set up conflict. So and, true. And, we have to break those barriers down.
0: Yeah, I fully agree. So let's go back to your pet car, uh, pet care service. For as long as I can remember, I have always loved animals. Although I grew up in urban settings, I have spent almost all my school holidays on my uncle's farm. Later on, I even made it almost once onto a ranch in Ontario but this is a totally different story. I love pets and especially cats. I admire their elegance and their curiosity. As you said, you had yourself a mobile pet care service for over 20 years. Why did you quit after such a long time of service?
1: It wasn't because I wanted to. My world had changed. I My this is a bit difficult for me. I grew. I say, as you know, I grew up in an older age dynamic. Well, I lost a member of my family every year and a half for 10 years. So it was a six-month break, and then somebody else got sick, and then we went through the system again. The last of that uh, number of people was my mother, and she passed away in 2011. The last Uh, seven years, she she needed home care and she didn't want strangers in the house. She only wanted me. So I had to give up the business. It wasn't because I wanted to. And I felt that, and, and at that point in time, you know, other people were starting to get into the business and had their own concepts of what they wanted to do. I find it rather intriguing because nobody exactly ever copied my business. And they always say the sincerest part of flattery is when somebody copies your business. Well, that's up for discussion. I don't know about (laughs) that part, but that's one of the things they say. So it was because of my family that
0: I had to stop doing what I was doing. I understand. Tell me about your relationship with animals in general.
1: I have a rescue cat and he's an orange tabby and I find it's interesting. I, you, well, you would have been of the age frame. I think that a lot of people out there where we used to watch Star Trek Yes. and we used to watch Spock and how he would do this mind melt.
0: Yeah. So,
1: so the my, my cat mind melts with me and I've never had an animal do that. I have had an understanding with them. But all he has to do is if I'm mad at him about something is he gets up on my level at my eye level and he'll, it's almost like he's staring straight through me and he, and all I have to do is concentrate on his eyes and the, then. and he's very expressive. And all of a sudden the, the eyes, will, and he'll look and he, he runs like crazy and he goes, Oh, I'm in deep. <laughs> Mom's mad, <laughs> huh. and that's all I have to do is just look at him. But uh, yeah, it's I. One of the things that I gifts that I have, which I plan in developing, is I'm. I've learned through the animals teaching me how to learn about what they fear and how to bring them down from peeling off the ceiling. Or I used to be involved in horses many years, and, and I had a rescue horse, and he was a two-year-old, and had never been handled. And I had was recovering from a bad accident, so I was prepared to spend a day on, or a year on the ground. And by the time I could actually sit on him and work with him, he had a short time fuse, and that was. When he got scared, his whole body would tense, become almost like rigor mortis. And I had exactly one minute to defuse him. And if he didn't, he would literally run flat out toward anything. He didn't care. He yep. would run through walls. He would run through anything. So initially, I w- when I realized that I couldn't defuse him, I would get off him. Once I'm on ground, he knew he was safe. But it took me a couple of years to get him through that because he had been abused. So.
0: And do you have currently any pets?
1: My man in my life is my orange tabby named Rascal Flats. Now Rascal Flats is a country and Western singer, but I'm very much a person who believes like people, you don't name an animal until you learn their personality. So I learned about six months and he got the name Rascal. Because he's, he's not bad, but he's impish. Mm-hmm. And I like the country and Western singer flats. So here you go.
0: Okay. Very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know that many older people in the work process feel neglected and discriminated because of their age. I also know that for many people who have worked in a professional structure for decades, Retirement can be a major problem, and to have a meaningful task is important for mental and physical health. You have launched a new podcast, or you will launch very soon, you said, with the title Silver Tsunami, The Next Phase, Dealing with Ageism in the Workforce. How could that be of help for those people?
1: Okay, so there are many stories in this, so we'll take one at a time. This podcast arose because uh, nine years ago, uh, after my mother I knew was not going to be around for much longer, I was thinking about what to do with the next phase of my life. The one thing I knew was I didn't want to have another business. That was not in my program. I had been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. I didn't want the responsibility. So I started going to job placement agencies in my city, and there are many of them, and they're all great. There is one who uh, offered a program, they offer, excuse me, day-long programs to teach you whatever skills that they feel you need or you are looking for. This is a provincial program. It's called the OWL, Older, Wiser, Labor Force. So it's people who are 50, uh, 45 years of age and up, they're eligible, but you have to be uh, recommended by somebody in that office in order to get into the program. It's a seven week program. I loved it. I learned a lot. I had been out of the workforce by nearly 10 years uh, and I knew, number one, computer skills, other than going in and getting my email, that was it. I knew nothing else. And all my other office skills were more than 20 years old. So now I'm dating myself. <laughs> the, I took the program and it, in about three quarters of the way through, one of the teachers said, because there were oh almost half the class were people who are coming into retirement age very soon. And they said, you have to th- know about something, be aware of it, and figure out how to deal with it. Ageism in the workforce is very real. Yep. And I thought, hmm, okay. So a few weeks before that, I had been sent out on in job interviews. And I could tell by the person sitting behind the desk, they really weren't interested in me, uh, skills or not. Because in my a city if you have a person who is 55 years of age approximately anywhere over 50 the corporate world doesn't think they can get their money back on the return of their investment so that's very true in a lot of cases but we need to change the narrative on many levels so i went to my uh, caseworker at the time and i explained my concerns and when I was walking out the door, because she was going into retirement, um, she said, I've got something to tell you, and you need to get your head around it. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. She said, whether you like it or not, you are an entrepreneur. You said, you are independent thinker. You think outside the box. People who are working for people don't do that as well. So figure out what you want to do. Oh, Okay. So then I had to change my mindset again because I was going to a place I didn't want to be. So then the uh, actually this podcast is part of a a business that I'm launching next year, which will be in March. That will be called Senior Power Communications. It's the power of seniors. Seniors don't, I don't, I think, but I could be wrong, don't get the point about how powerful they are. As a group, we can try and and be successful, it doesn't happen overnight, there's no magic bullet, but prove to the corporate world how valuable we are. So let me take that in a different perspective. So when I learned that from the caseworker, I started paying more attention to the people in my group who were looking for jobs. And being in that age frame. And they were having the same difficulties I was. So, and I thought, okay, this is reality. So, if all these people and many more are looking for jobs, maybe there's a career here. That we can help these people find the next phase of their life. And so, I'm now about seven years ahead of where I am now, uh, except I didn't have the connections, the influencers that I needed to make it happen. So in Western Canada, now it is starting to happen where corporate world is starting to realize our value. So when we come of retirement age, it could be as early as 55 in this country. Really? Yeah, it used to be 60, now it's a bit earlier. It depends upon the um, environment you're in. And like cor- the uh, government doesn't retire till 70. So there's a big gap there. So I'm saying between 55 up until maybe 75 or 80. I went to a symposium a couple of years ago in Halifax held at university and they brought in people from Ontario talking about this. And there was a gentleman who ran a construction group and he was in panic mode. And he said, so I'm going to be losing half of my Um, middle management people in less than a year. And I listened to his story and that got me thinking again. So to back up a step, when corporate world decides we should retire, they have spent tons and tons of money and time on courses, on developing people. When When we as seniors retire, we don't leave those skills knowledge and experience behind they come with us and we are still valuable players in the game now there's few schools of thought on that well you need the young people coming up they have to have a future too and you know the old fogies they they're not with the latest digital programs hold it just hang on a minute this is not the end of the world so why can't, I call it, I thought of this seven years ago, but I didn't have say the ability to pursue it. Why can't corporate world, and I'd be happy to work with anybody out there and I don't care what country you're in, because I believe it can be a worldwide benefit. It's not, again, it's not rocket science. It's not gonna happen overnight, but we have to start planting the seeds. Now, the added question mark, is now we're in this COVID scenario, is the follow from business when they don't have these people to fill in the blanks that they had before. And there may not be the young people that they were hoped to, to come in to fill those jobs. So you already have Joe Blow who walked out of retirement two years ago, who's not doing anything. He wants to come back to work, why not? And then he gets put with a younger person who has the university background and he has the wherewithal to take it further. So I, the reason I call it a tractor effect, as that person fades out, he takes his place. Now, there's a whole lot of ups and downs and ins and outs with this because it becomes a, a problem of benefits, wages and what have you, which all have to be created. I don't think it's impossible. It's gonna be a learning curve for everybody. But people out West now, large corporations, I started to say, they are asking their people who go into retirement, if they would stay on another year or so. And they're willing to pay the bucks to keep them there. Yep. Why not? Yep. yep. So the thing that I'm saying is, I don't care what the country is or who you are, it can be done. And what you do is, for instance, in a manufacturing environment, when I gave somebody uh, an idea about this recently, let's take the airlines. So, excuse me. So you have uh, a high turnover, you have security issues, you have yada, yada, yada. You, the airlines and the airports are very fortunate in, in this particular instance that they can draw from their pool of people. Number one, they know their work history. Number two, they know their health history. Number three, they know their security level. They know their training. Number four. So why can't they, for lack of a better word, be Mm cross-trained? And so they can be each other's backup. And I, I was watching a program one time, Uh, a few months ago, which gave me a different idea. If that world and other corporate worlds decide to, and this would come under HR, would decide to create a roster, and I use the term loosely, of people. So you go through your present employees, no matter what company you are. You see the ones that are coming into retirement. That's what I was telling this gentleman at the summit. I said, you have a year. You're not out the door yet. What you do is you go through all your employees, you look at everything that you're interested in, and then you pick the ones you wanna keep. That's step one. Step two is you ask them, you decide where you would like them to work. You ask them if they wanna stay on as a full-time employee or as a part-time employee. So you have two rosters going. Yep. So if somebody only wants to work half days, great. Somebody wants to work full-time, terrific. So then the business has a full-time roster of employees to do numerous things with, not only to keep the business going that they have, they can increase their productivity, they can expand. It has many pluses. I'm not saying there aren't downsides to it. There are, and I can think a lot, which would take a bit longer, but we have to plant seeds. Yeah. And I think now the corporate world has to get their rat together and say, what do we want to do with the future? Because that way, as I say, as the, that person retires out, because the main, the main thing is, no matter what the environment is, they must have a physical once a year minimum. And as they age, they get done twice a year. Mm-hmm. So that they are not having problems with their health and diminishing productivity.
0: Yeah, as, as you have said, like uh, keeping the experience in the, in the company that in, in, view of, in light of what you have said, it's actually very s- uh, stupid what they do like in the United States with hire and fire, right? Mm-hmm. They build up people next day, they fire them. Uh, a week later, they look for somebody else. They have to train them again. It's actually, it's stupid. There's so much loss of of uh, competence and ability.
1: Yeah. And, and, and much their bottom line is being decreased because they have to train these people and you've already yeah. got... Yeah. And, and who says that... Now, I, I grant you different... Um, age groups have different issues with working with older people. But there's, if as an example, a manager has computer background and he hasn't been updated in three years, there's no reason why the young person can't work with him to bring him up to date. It's not rocket science and it's not territorial. It's for the best of the company, right? Yeah,
0: that's right. You once said, I wish I had started making connections seven years ago. I wish I was ahead of the curve more. This is your say. What do you mean by that? Just what I talked about, about my idea for
1: what I call the rollover concept, because it's starting to bubble up in different places in my country. I don't know about the rest of the world, but um, I just didn't I didn't know any influencers at the time that would be interested in my concept. I, I just didn't travel in those circles, but I anybody out there who wants to c- contact Andres or myself, and, and I'd be more than happy to share ideas and get this going because it's important for the health of ourselves, our communities, and our world uh,
0: to make it a better place. Thank you. Now, before we close down, uh, let me know what keeps you up at night. Oh, you don't want to know what keeps me up at night. <laughs> I want to know.
1: <laughs> right now, it's the program we're both in called Broadcast Yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. I mean,
1: it's, Brian, we love you and we love it. Don't get us wrong. <laughs> but, no, I... Um, I'll share this with you. I shared it with somebody else recently. I didn't think I'd be talking about this because this is me and I'm not good about talking about myself, but uh, part of my senior power communications will be this podcast. Okay. Um, But there will be other entities of my business that will, they will work together. So I was putting my business plan together for the new business uh, and my, I had watched Brian's uh, free masterclass and all his promotions about the podcast. I had not, as he would say, pulled the trigger. Uh, as yet, I have also a background in community television, which is beneficial to this environment. So it wasn't totally strange to me. But July 31st, my world changed. And I had a massive heart attack and almost didn't make it. So I'm lying in bed in the hospital for 11 days, saying, "What do I do now?" <laughs> so this kept coming back to mind, and I kept saying, "I ask all the questions and every day, and try and get it sorted out in my brain as to physically, a, could I do it?" Um, because with this podcast and this present business, I I love the animals. They ruled my life for over 20 years, as I said. But this time is time for me. I want to be able to choose when I leave my house. And if it's a rotten day, I don't have to worry about it because I have plenty of work to keep me at home. So the day before the uh, applications for the podcast shut down, I pulled the trigger. said, yes, we're doing this. So I'm working on the programs, on the people I want to have on my show, where I want to take the show long and short-term. And my long-term right now is the next year. (laughs) Um, But yeah, for the immediate future. And I, I will, as time progresses, elongate that because I plan on being in it for the long haul.
0: Thank you very much, Caroline, for your experiences and insights and the good portion of Canadian charm. Thank you. (laughs) I wish you every success with your podcast on the way to the go-to for seniors aged 55 and above who are looking for the next phase of their life. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Andreas. Enjoyed enjoyed your questions and your comments and your humor. It was all wonderful.